Welcome to Market Fuller. It's Wednesday, June 6th, and on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about gambling and whiskey. So, joining me in studio from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hansen. I had to get you guys. Come on. Get yes. more. Gambling and whiskey? We're also going to dip into the Fool mailbag. Uh, let's start with. Uh, the gambling industry. Uh, Tim, uh, there are some people in the world who are concerned about China's economic slowdown, but apparently Steve Wynn is not one of them. Uh, Wynn is planning to spend a reported $4 billion to build a casino and resort in Macau. Another casino. I was going to say, this is his second one in Macau. Mm -hmm. Is this... Well, kind of second plus, because he had an expansion of the first also. So he's been very aggressive. First and foremost, is this... The cost of doing business, is this a lot of money, or is this just sort of, look, if you're going to build a casino and resort in Macau, you're going to have to spend $4 billion. Well, it's a big piece of land, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you know the casinos there have tended to be luxurious, and Wynn is trying to occupy the market niche as number one super premium brand in Macau, so they go over the top on luxury. And I think you know the other thing people need to remember here, it is, an, it is a lot of money for casino development, but Macau, this is in the area called the Kotai, which is actually a, a, a stretch of reclaimed land between two islands, the, the uh, Cologne Island, which is the Ko, and Taipa Island, which is the Tai, so Ko Tai. Um, so in order to actually build the casino, you can't build a mega casino on top of sand. That's structurally unsound. So you actually have, you have to dig very far down until you hit bedrock. And so it's actually quite expensive to build the, the foundation or the sub-foundation um, of, these, of these buildings. But you know, when, like everybody developing on Macau, is taking a very long-term perspective on the growth opportunities there, you know, until just this past month, um, revenue was growing 20 30% annually for the gaming side in Macau. It slowed to 7% um, in May. But notably, part of that is because of China slowing. The other part is that last year, during that month, the um, uh, the uh, Galaxy Mega Resort opened, and no casino opened this month. So it's kind of a tough comp to roll over without another opening. Yep. Um, it's not really a good like-to-like comparison. But there are some indicators coming out, but it's a long-term story. You know, most of the visitors to Macau right now, and Macau is dramatically larger than Las Vegas in terms of revenue, they're coming from one province in China, Guangdong province. China's got, you know, almost 30 provinces. Some of them are much poorer than Guangdong. But, you know, if you extrapolate 10, 15, 20 years, which is the timeline someone like Wynn is thinking, and he's historically been very good at his job, um, I, think, I think these investments do ultimately make sense and will ultimately pay off. Joe, is gambling, casinos, it, it's, it seems to me like it's, pretty, um, maybe not cyclical, but there are certainly ups and downs. I mean, Tim sort of hinted at this. I mean, you look at uh, casino revenue last month in Macau, it was the slowest in more than two years. That seems to me like it presents, on occasion, really great value opportunities. Yeah, Is that the case? And if so, is now one of them? Well, it does. During the financial crisis, all these stocks, like when uh, Las Vegas Sands, all just dropped like stones and have since come up something like an order of 10 times for a few of them. Because there is a ton of operating leverage in the business and fixed costs. And like Tim said, you know, you're pouring $4 billion into opening a facility. Well, you better get some serious returns on that and get people through the door. You know, right now, I don't know that I'm you know, head over heels buying these guys. I think you can afford to be greedy with something with this much leverage built into their model. But, you know, over a long-term outlook, what do I like Win? Yes. Is it incredibly well run? Yes. Tim, if you think as an investor that Macau really does represent a great opportunity, is Win where you want to be looking as an investor or is there somewhere else if you're betting just specifically on Macau? I, I think Wynn is a very good company for a variety of reasons. You know, for, first, it's run both in the U.S. and in Macau, and they've got a reputation to protect in both markets. So I think you can expect that company 
generally speaking, to be sort of more responsible to shareholders than something like Melco, which is really only looking to protect a reputation in China. You know, they're listed here, but, you know, if something goes wrong with American shareholders, they can they can sort of still raise capital in, in, in Hong Kong. And that same would go with Galaxy and SJM, which I really only have reputations to protect um, in China. Um, Las Vegas Sands is certainly a player. They've got uh, a massive resort there and another one that just opened. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think they're a little bit more leveraged than, than, than Wynn. Um, Wynn also is looking at the super premium segment, um, which tends to be, I would say, a little bit more resistant to the junket activity, um, which is currently fueling a lot of the growth in, in Macau. For those who don't know what the junkets are, it's basically if a mainland Chinese person wants to go gamble in Macau, instead of going directly and having to deal with the capital controls of bringing cash um, over the border, you give your cash to a junket in China, and then they you go borrow money from their junket or you know the people in Macau who are affiliated with them, and you get a line of credit and so so on and so forth. And so um, right now these junkets are actually having a hard time collecting on money in China. There's a lot of scandal around them. Uh, I can't I, imagine yeah. why. <laughs> it's uh, they may or may not have ties to organized crime, et cetera, et cetera. No, um, but I think Win is a little bit more. And, and again, I think part of that has to do with the fact they have a foot in the United States as yep. well as a foot in China. So I think you know, and Steve Win historically has been just a great, um, if not shareholder advocate, at least protector of shareholder interests. He's got a great, notoriously good track record for um, selling shares when he thinks the stock is expensive and buying shares back when he thinks the stock is cheap. He runs the company with a responsible amount of leverage. It's a real estate developer, so it's going to have leverage, but you don't want to over-leverage, especially mm-hmm. in a cyclical industry, as you pointed out. So I think Wynn is, a, um, you know, is, if you're looking at the niche, certainly one to start with, um, if, not, if not finish with. Weren't you in Macau? Weren't you in, specifically, weren't you in a, a casino in Macau in the last Yeah, we were there. Yeah, we were there in um, March. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's interesting. You know, one thing, we've been there a few times over the last five, six years, you know, table minimums are, are steadily going up at every casino. You know, even the sort of casinos that focus on mass market Chinese gamers. I mean, you had forty, fifty dollar minimums, which is high. Yeah, I can't afford that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm. You know, and then you go into win, and you're seeing even higher minimums. You know, there, and then you've got you know the private rooms and everything. So, uh, I don't know what the what the um, <clears throat> you know the, the sentiment is now with this slower growth number that came up in May. Like I said, they're rolling over a tough comp, but the people we talked to are very excited long term because they're looking at. You know, liberalization of the visa process coming from mainland China, um, new infrastructure in Macau, like a rail system that's going to get people around the island better, and a couple of new immigration checkpoints, which are going to mean more volumes of passengers able to come into the country via both um, rail, airplane, and there's going to be a big bridge connecting uh, Macau to Hong Kong. That's right. I remember now because uh, you and Bill Mann were there. And I remember Bill Mann back in uh, when you guys got back saying, "Oh yeah, we're in this casino for a couple hours." And I was like, "Oh, well, what were you playing?" He's like, "Oh, no, the t- table minimum, yeah, way, no. too, way too high for me." It's wild, it's wild. Uh, Diageo is the largest producer of Scotch whiskey in the world. Shares of Diageo up more than three percent this morning after the company announced it will be investing one point five billion in whiskey production over the next five years. Joe Mager, I couldn't be happier as a consumer. Uh, sure, but uh, <laughs> and I'm not a shareholder of Diageo stock. But is that that seems like a pretty big bet um, over the next five years? Is it a smart bet? Yeah, I think so. Scotch whiskey has a huge surging amount of demand right now, especially in emerging markets. And Tim could probably speak to this better than I can. But you know, my honeymoon, we went through different spots. In the I don't know anything Asia. about what happened on your honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, uh, at duty-free shops 
I'll say all the rage was scotch, and all the global travelers were just gravitating towards that. And it's no surprise that Johnny Walker, which is a Diageo brand, is the biggest brand in the world by value. Uh, I think it's a pretty good move. It's a very long view move by these guys because it takes a long time to build a distillery and actually produce good scotch. You know, you think of uh, scotch at seven, eight years old or like an 18-year single barrel. Well, that's a pretty long lead time on yeah. your investment. So I'd imagine a lot of this will be blended. So it's not going to take 20 years from then to get a payback. But it is a long view move, and I like it. Is this a situation where um, it, it's bullish not only for Diageo but for the industry as well? So that if you are uh, Jim Beam or a shareholder of Beam stock, you're taking this as a bullish sign, or is this really just about Diageo and their operations? I'd say it's a general bullish sign, but I would remember, too, you know, a lot more competition in the space kind of dilutes the value for people. I mean, you will get a few different uh, areas of the spirits industry that have really just exploded over the last few years. Um, you know, 20 years ago, there weren't a lot of options in vodka. Now you can get you know cupcake-flavored vodka. It's ridiculous, and you've seen the same kind of niche expansion in bourbon cupcake flavored vodka it exists you've had it well, i haven't i haven't had it i wouldn't pay for that but i've seen it i've heard the new bacon flavored vodka makes a pretty good bloody mary really yeah i guess say the worst cocktail i can remember having was the blt cocktail we had at uh oh, the place in old town that's so fantastic virtue no uh px the, yeah px they had a blt cocktail no it was brutally bad <laughs> Only bad drink I've had there, though. Uh, just to close out on the stock, uh, one analyst uh, was quoted this morning as saying, if uh, Scotch delivers as forecast, Diageo will enter a new era of above-trend growth. Is this, I mean... It's, it's sufficiently sounds, vague to be believable. Well, but, I mean, to, in terms of Diageo's stock, is this should people be looking at it as like, wow, this is potentially a growth stock, or is this more of a, a, a steady return... Yeah, I think Diageo is going to grow above the general economy for a long time because it does have brands that people value and they can push through price increases. But it's not by any means like a hyper growth stock. I mean, the real value for these guys is they'll create brands, support them, market them. And they just have this global distribution network that allows them to incrementally get things out there on the cheap. So opening up a new you know, extension of brands for them is incredibly valuable because they've already got this infrastructure and they take advantage of. You know, my problem with Diageo, though, has been like a lot of luxury conglomerates. And I think it's it's, it's reasonable to classify Diageo as a luxury conglomerate like you would, you know, something like um, Burberry or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is their SG&A is out of control? I mean, it, it, SG&A? selling general administrative expenses, you know, what they're paying to market, what they're paying their executives, what they're paying their salespeople, et cetera. I mean, they just spend, I mean, and, and you might expect they, they host a lot of parties. You know, they spend a lot of money to build the brand. They give out a lot of free samples. Uh, it's just at some point, I, I, I've never gotten the feeling with Diageo that it's run on a, in sort of a lean way to maximize shareholder return. And uh, that, that, that's why, to me, it always looks expensive, even though they put up great top line numbers. Usually the bottom line is always sort of, I don't know, leaves you with a little bit of a hangover. But oh, brutal. Well, I'd be curious to look into that some more. I've I mean, been listening to too much Jason Moser. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. Uh, I've been, yeah, I've looked at, you know, Pepsi and Coke in the past, and I think they could be a good, you know, contrast here where Coke is very consistently spent uh, like about twice what PepsiCo does in terms of marketing as a percentage of sales over the long haul. And I think that's treated them pretty well. But I haven't looked into Diageo close enough in terms of marketing and sales. But 
You can always drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Got an email from Mike Hiller in Akuton, Alaska. He writes, how does Facebook determine their membership numbers? I keep hearing 900 million, and I cannot believe that number in his in the slightest bit accurate as far as telling us how many individuals are actually using the service. My daughter and her friends routinely make fake Facebook pages. Even I've done it. Many people I know have made a profile but have never used the service after that. There's even a profile for the Beluga Lake Monster in my hometown of Homer, Alaska. As far as I know, the monster is not clicking on ads. Um, and, and the email goes on from there, Joe. He, he raises some question. You know, does this this 900 million number, which we've used, it's reported all the time in the media. Does it include businesses? Is there double counting going on? Uh, first and foremost, how does Facebook define membership? Yeah, well, they have different numbers that they talk about. And we'll talk about the difference between a user and a member in a minute. But the 901 million is active accounts that are used in a given month. So if you log on to your account within a month, uh, that's what's counted. Now, they also have a measure for dailies. Uh, 57% of Facebook users come back every day, or 57% of those who come once a month come every day. So big picture, I think, no matter how you slice it, there are a whole lot of people using this site. Well, they're just logging on, though, right? So if, they, if you if you log into uh, your Facebook, if you use your Facebook account, for example, to log into fool.com, that counts for that. It does. Yeah, yeah. It does. It's a very liberal interpretation in that sense. It also includes, like, if you like something on another site that's connected to Facebook. Yep. They count you. Yeah. And if you come on and you use the mobile experience, that also counts. But anything within the Facebook ecosystem. Um, is that different from how a company like Groupon or Zynga or LinkedIn, any of these other sort of similar uh, companies, at least in terms of internet, social media, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Is that how they count members as well? Well, they've got all sorts of different metrics. And rightfully, companies have different metrics that they should be tracking and making them available to, to analysts and investors so that they make good decisions. Uh, Zynga, for example, has one where they track how many people use Zynga itself and then how many use individual games. So the individual game one is actually a lot higher and Rich and I got an argument yesterday about which one you would want to use, thinking about revenue per customer. Are you still a Power Zynga user? <laughs> no, I've cut back on my farming. <laughs> um, Just curious. But yeah, it's a helpful measure to look at. But one thing I'd remember with Facebook is, and this is the same with LinkedIn, which I, I love LinkedIn, but in both cases, they're tracking, or the number that they're publishing, right, is how many people are using the site. And that's important because it's a network-based business, and you want to see that high and growing and high engagement. But those aren't necessarily the customers, right? The customers are also the people who are buying ads on those sites. And in the case of LinkedIn, the people who are actually really valuable are the ones who are you know, HR departments like our own at The Fool that will actually pay for access to you know, tap into that huge network. Tim? What do you make of all of this, and and what should investors be looking at? I mean, I'm assuming you know you never want to bet on just one metric, but it seems like when you're looking at membership, you could make the argument for increased members, you know, month over month, quarter over quarter, is something you want to see. But you could also make the argument that really the number you want to focus on is sort of that average revenue per user. Um, well, I think the, those growth membership member, uh, numbers are, at, are a lot like inventory. I mean, if you want to if you want to think about it that way, because as Joe said, you know, the number of members you have is only as good as the people who want to sell to them. So if you've got a lot of inventory and people want to sell into that, that's a, that's a good thing. Which is why I think Facebook is really attractive in that regard. 
Um, there's some there's some questions around how effectively you can market to Facebook members, mm-hmm. and I think those are reasonable questions, and the company is trying to solve them. Um, but that that it's a good dynamic for Facebook to have more members rather than fewer, and they have a large addressable market. That's that's working for them. Um, ARPU average revenue per user is a nice way to start making some apples to apples comparisons across sites like Facebook and LinkedIn, Twitter, those sorts of things. That would be a way to sort of figure out. All right, all these companies are 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 pushing pretty good sort of growth in their member bases, who's best at um, monetizing them, to what capacity can they do it, and you sort of multiply those two numbers together, and that's your, your market or your revenue earnings potential. Um, I, you know, I, I think Facebook is, is interesting or getting more and more interesting as people well, hate on it. It keeps falling 3% a more. day. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, this uh, has there ever been a sentiment change? You know, what was it? A week ago, two weeks ago, people were tripping all over themselves to get shares. Mm-hmm. And now people are tripping all over themselves to basically mock, openly mock the company. I think you know the reality, as with most situations, lies somewhere in between. But I think there's, you know, I don't think there's a good reason to denigrate uh, Facebook's user base or its, you know, potential to monetize it because, frankly, it, it's there. And and you know, I think a lot of times investors write off something quickly and never return to it. Um, but you know, most people are, are are speaking ill of Facebook at this point, and that's interesting. But is Facebook in a situation where they absolutely if if they want to grow at significant levels if they don't want to be content with merely being a company that makes money off of ads don't they almost have to develop some sort of premium membership model um and it's it's unfair to compare them to a company like Costco which is a completely different business but when you look at Costco's membership and you have you know any sort of membership model even LinkedIn i mean to Joe's point uh, you've got with LinkedIn. Yes, there are plenty of people uh, like me and you, Joe, uh, and I think you're on LinkedIn, aren't you, Tim? Uh, it was a mistake. <laughs> now you can't get off. But I mean, we're not paying LinkedIn. Any- I'm one of those dead users that the gentleman from Alaska referenced in response to most of those sites. And yet, there are companies like ours, plenty of companies like ours, that are paying LinkedIn, you know, a significant chunk of change every month. Um, do we do, do that? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually become our go-to for hiring. Yeah, Kara uh, Chambers in our HR department was telling us the other day that 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 basically LinkedIn has enabled our company to get rid of plenty of other services that we were previously using because it's so effective. Yeah, well, you can just hyper-target ads so well based on geography, experience. So if, if you're a recruiter, you love LinkedIn. If you're a uh, someone who works in the uh, headhunting business, you probably hate LinkedIn. Well, you well, love, well, you love it now because it's a tool, but in a few years, it's kind of like private detectives. When Google and search engines came out, they're like, oh, this is helpful. And then 10 years later, it's just obliterated their business. So, I mean, that's the key is, is you know, so LinkedIn had, had to, has a pretty focused user base, yep. and they've succeeded very well at hyper-targeting, as Joe said. And that's really, again, hyper-targeting is worth more money than targeting and is worth more money than not targeting yeah. at all. And Facebook's got a massive user base, but the problem that comes with that is that it's really hard to target. Um, and you know, Baidu is working through that same problem in China, which is we've got a lot of people using the site. We need to get better about making sure that all those people are seeing things that are applicable to them because that's where the monetization happens. Um, you know, Facebook's it, it, it's interesting to see if they can if they can work on that. Obviously, you know one of the keys for Facebook to hyper targeting is to collect a lot of information about you, which is where they get you know they and the government butt heads a little bit, and where they're going to butt heads with this plan to allegedly open Facebook up to you know um, under thirteen year olds. But kids in the womb. Yeah, that, I mean that's but that's the issue. But you know, but if Facebook could ostensibly say, "Wow, this person's putting up pictures of a six week old baby. They live here." 
you know, we should hit them with daycare ads. You know, that's that's very that could potentially be very effective. But Heck, it, even diaper ads because you know, yeah, as you know, those are expensive. Yeah, but you know, and then you know, I, I saw some things yesterday about you know, if you know, you're friends with somebody on Facebook and they use a daycare, then the daycare can pay for it to pop up in your feed. Also, it's sort of like a organic network effect, but there's a paid aspect to it. I mean, all those things are interesting. They're not being done to a great degree right now, but, uh, you know, at the very least, it's interesting, and they become more interesting, as Joe said, as the price keeps falling. Yeah, I think Tim's right. I wouldn't go down the, the paid experience path for customers because, like he was saying, you're basically trying to sell into the space and tap the space. Uh, you know, I think it'd be one of the worst things they could do, actually, is start charging people to use Facebook because they just very quickly quit, a lot of them, and the size of the network and the activity is really what you care about. I think a better path would be delivering better tools to marketers so that they could better and more effectively target, but also working more with developers on creating games and platforms and diversifying away from Zynga, but really tapping into that user base and making it just a stickier destination with more apps. I think, you know, Facebook should hire uh, Robert Cialdini, who wrote that book, Influence, you know, to basically advise them on what to, what to be doing because, you know, he demonstrated that in marketing. One of the most powerful things you can have happen is for you know your peers to basically endorse a product. In Facebook, it could be one massive endorsement platform of products from people you respect that you have shown you respect because you like them or follow them or, or, or what have you. And um, to the extent they should be developing tools that, that at all, that should be really the number one criteria they focus on is how to turn it into a massive endorsement platform. And um, that, would be, that would be neat and potentially very powerful. We will end there. Tim Hansen, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. It's a short week for us. We will be back on Monday. Check out Motley Fool Money this weekend. It is our mid-year review. We're getting the we're getting the jump on the other shows who are going to wait till the actual mid-year point. We're doing our mid-year bah. review. Yes. Yes. That's what you get with Motley Fool Money. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.